Um, this is, uh, well, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here at uh, Hope Lower Town, and uh, excited about uh, things going on around here. We're, you know, going to start trying to open things up again, get the nursery up and running, uh, and Sunday school for the little ones, and uh, excited about that. So um, just thankful for uh, where, we're, where we're at as a church and where we're going, and uh, we are actually in week 16. Week 16 of uh, going through the book of Hebrews. Uh, and just to give you a little heads up, I'm excited about what we're going to be doing this summer. So when we're, we're done with the book of Hebrews, uh, we're going to be doing um, uh, the eight weeks of what we haven't really don't have a title yet, but uh, called Stained Glass. Uh, we're actually going to we're actually going to look at the major images on all these stained glass windows and kind of look at that. Why why would the church when it was built in 1874? Uh, pick these images to be on these stained glass windows, and so that'll be fun. And then we're going to be spend four weeks looking at the church. What is the point of the church? Why are we Why are we doing this? And how do we do it? And what's uh, just kind of the fancy word is ecclesiology. And so excited to be able to uh, jump into that. So that's just a little heads up where we're going to be going. Um, so this week, though, I have a question, and that is: Has have you ever done something, or has someone made you do something that that you you didn't want to do? Like, yeah, duh, like I had to wake up this morning. Uh, nobody likes doing things that they don't want to do. Uh, and so it was, it was kind of fun. I was just telling Paul, um, yesterday I was at uh, uh, Raising Cane's. I was in the drive-thru, you know, Raising Cane's. And it's always super busy. I mean, it's good, but it's like, why is it that busy all the time? Like, the, the, it like wraps, you know, the, the, you know, the actual drive-thru is looping on itself. And so there was a car next to me, um, and it was like a 1996 Grand Prix you know, and there was like a 16-year-old kid driving it. And I'm like, am I in high school again? <laughs> like what? How? And it was, like a, it was like a nice, it was in very good condition. I wanted to roll the window down. I'm like, how many miles you got on that thing? Because uh, I was very surprised to see, a, you know, an old Grand Prix um, uh, right next to me. And so it just kind of got me going down memory lane. And in high school, uh, if, does anyone know, even know what this is? This is a play called Brigadoon, Brigadoon. Anyone know, is anyone familiar with this play? Uh, it's, it's one of the, you know, it wasn't as popular, but uh, who was the main, who was the guy that did the tap dance scene, was in all the plays, all the musicals back in the day? No, uh, it wasn't Fred Astaire, it was the, uh, from White Christmas, Bing Crosby. Okay, so Bing Crosby's the, the main character in this, you know, they, they did a movie version of it. And so I was in high school, there was a couple things though, I, I really liked acting, I loved acting, and I love uh, singing. I don't like musicals, though. I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. It drives me bonkers. Why does a whole town break out into chorus together? It doesn't make. I just can't wrap my brain around it. And so I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be in the play. And uh, the director was like, "Hey, why don't you? You can you can have a character that doesn't have to sing." And it was great because I didn't have to be part of the all the many hours of the choreography and the dancing and the singing. I never had to mess with it, so it was fantastic. So that was that was a good a good plus, but I, I was kind of forced into this play that I didn't want to be in. It ended up being a lot of fun. Uh, my character in it, I never had to sing. Uh, he was like the best friend of the main guy, and he was uh, always a little tipsy. And so even the few times I did have to sing, I purposefully was supposed to be bad, right? So it was actually kind of fun. And I didn't have to like dance. Everyone else is dancing, and I'm just kind of wandering around. It was actually kind of fun. Uh, another thing that I did that same year was I played soccer. Uh, we were state champs. Uh, IACS means the Illinois Association of Christian Schools, so it's nothing to be too proud about. Uh, we played like six other small <laughs> Christian schools. Um, and so I would play goalie, though, but I, didn't, I do not like soccer. I've never liked soccer, but that was one thing my dad made me do growing up. For whatever reason, he made me play soccer, and I hated playing soccer. So I remember in eighth grade, 
uh, I would actually play half of a soccer game and then he would pick me up and he would take me to my football game and I'd put my pads on on the way. And I love football. So he'd let me play the whole game of football and half a game of soccer. Didn't make any sense. That's what we did. So anyways, I didn't like soccer, so my, my dad died in eighth grade, and then I was like, oh, I don't have to play soccer anymore. <laughs> so that's a benefit. Uh, so but we, were, we were going to, uh, I played soccer my senior year, and I we played goalie because I could do that. But a couple guys got kicked off the team. They needed help, and I didn't want to do it. So I told the coach, I've got a couple rules. I'm not getting on your fancy diet. You know, other kids weren't allowed to, like, drink pop. Uh, and I was like, I'm drinking pop. I'm not, not abiding by your rules, and I'm not running. I was like, I'm, I'm a goalie. I'm not, they run two miles every day before practice. I'm like, not doing it. Uh, and I didn't. So the whole team would be running laps and I would just be sitting there on the sideline. It was great. Uh, but I, I was just kind of like forced into, I just don't want to do this. And so today in this passage that we're going to be looking at in Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is going to say something, even command things that might go, oh man, I don't know if I like that. It doesn't sit well with me. And so how should we respond? But uh, if you're visiting uh, Hope, if you're just checking us out or you're just passing through, um, I hope there's a lot of grace here. Uh, matter of fact, the name, the title of the servant is, is going to be guilt-free uh, because there's so much, I think, from the church. And if you saw the post online of like, there's the, the church has abused this passage in my own life growing up. Uh, and also just in general, I'm going to talk about a few of those where I've just been um, hammering down on people. This is how you ought to act. This is how you need to behave if you call yourself a Christian rather than, wow, now that I am a Christian, now that I believe in Jesus, now I actually want to do these things. It's a very different way of thinking about it. Um, and so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, looking at verses 19 through 39. And so let's jump in. Uh, with the first word, therefore. And if you've been attending Hope and you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it there for? Right? What, what is the therefore there for? Right? And so it's the, the author here is calling everything back. Right? And so again, we're, we're 10 chapters in, but the author is saying, hey, okay, everything that we've just said, and they're going to recap. And then the author here is going to recap. And we've seen all these different things that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And he does high, better than, he's a greater high priest. He's greater than Moses, greater than the angels. He's greater than the Old Testament law. And with his grace, uh, that his blood is sufficient. He's greater than Melchizedek, uh, one of those fun characters that we got to look at. And so I want to just read what this author says here and looking at this idea of sprinkled with his blood. I, I hinted at this a little bit last week towards the end, but now this author uh, is going to explicitly talk about the sprinkling of the blood. And so right here, these couple verses, 19 uh, through, through 22, are just going to recap the entire book, right? So here's where we've been, and this is true. Boom, this is where it is. So if, if you're like, wow, how, how, I don't understand. How is this all true? Go back and read the rest of the book. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And again, the most holy place, this sacred space that was in the temple and the tabernacle that only one day a year for one, on the day of atonement, could the high priest, one specific individual, go into that space. Now we have confidence that anybody else, if they walked into that space, would be struck dead. But now we can all go into that space freely. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, right? There was this huge veil. It was five or six inches thick that was ripped from top to bottom when Jesus says it is finished as he's on the cross. And so now 
There's not just this sacred space and secular space. It's now all God's space. And he invades everything and we get to go into the space where God is now. That is his body, that Jesus dies. He sacrifices his body so we can go through and enter into this most holy place. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we don't have a high priest that has to sacrifice over and over the blood of an animal, but that the, that the one who is uh, performing the sacrifice is the sacrifice. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. And I, I mentioned this last week, this idea, we were looking at Leviticus and all these Old Testament laws, and there's just blood everywhere. That the priest would take the blood and would sprinkle and sprinkle and sprinkle this blood to, to, to symbolize you're clean now. And so Jesus now does that with his blood, not the blood of a boat, a, a, a bull or a goat or a boat, I guess, hydraulic fluid, maybe that wouldn't work either. None of it works, right? And then uh, looking at, so but what's interesting though that I want to highlight from this passage is that we're not just cleansed and we have this idea that our sin is removed. That's true. That we're cleansed from our sin. That's great. <laughs> but what's the author uh, say here? that we have our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience? I mean, when I sin, when I do something wrong, I just feel that weight and that guilt. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, because of the blood of Christ, stop it. Stop it. He said, man, I do, I do this thing. It's a lot of times when I counsel people, yeah, I, I, I'm addicted to this thing or I'm an alcoholic or I am uh, addicted to sex or, or whatever it may be. It's like, no, that's part, maybe that's what you struggle with. That's not who you are. That has been removed as far as the East is from the West. And when Jesus and God, the Father, look at you, they see a son and a daughter, period. Now we don't need to feel the weight. And we've talked about this many times, this idea of expiation, this idea of a scapegoat that this symbolically the priest would put their hands on the goat and they would pray and then they would send the goat out in the wilderness to remove the sin from the camp. That's exactly what happens when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. It's gone completely. Now, when we look at the definition of guilt, this was just Webster's definition of guilt. The noun form is the fact of having committed uh, having committed a specified or implied offense or crime, right? Someone's guilty of doing something. There's also a verb. Make someone feel guilty, especially in order to induce them to do something. And this is where, unfortunately, the church has really done some harm in people's lives. Wow, oh, you did that thing? Wow, you got to go do this, this, pray this, come to this, come to me. We'll talk about this. Instead of saying, how about you just repent? And Jesus said he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Now there is a godly sorrow. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10 says, godly sorrow brings repentance. That when I sin or my sin is exposed, it should be, I want to repent. I want to make sure that I'm okay with God. His view of me hasn't changed. So I don't need to have this guilt and this pressure. It's gone. It was nailed to the cross with Jesus. I'm set free from that, even a guilty conscience. 
So finishing that verse in 2 Corinthians, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, no guilt, but worldly sorrow brings death. What's the difference? Worldly sorrow is this idea of, I got caught. I'm going to lose my job now. Um, my wife or my husband's going to be mad at me. Whatever it may be, that it's only the consequences and that's what makes me sad. Rather than, Jesus, you died to set me free from doing things like this. Forgive me and help me, move me to be more like Jesus. That, those are very different responses to sin. We've been set free from that, from that guilt. And so in Christ, as this author says, our guilty conscience is clean. Now, again, I mentioned this last week, but we talk about this antinomian, okay, that means there's no law. That means we can do whatever we want. No, again, this, this motivates me that if I really, really do love Jesus and really believe that he died for me, then I want to pursue holiness. I want to pursue a life that is honoring to Jesus and that is worthy of him. But we can get and we can say this and say, oh man, I've been, I'm set free from a guilty conscience. Therefore, man, I guess I can just do whatever I want if it's all removed. And just reading again what we looked at last week in Romans chapter six. What shall we say then? Shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? Right? If I'm sinning here, but grace is greater, so we might as well just increase the sinning so that grace is all the more. By no means, no, don't even think about it. God forbid, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were, were baptized into his death and we therefore have been buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life out of obligation, out of guilt, out of fear of what's God going to do to me? Oh, out, of, out of I want to. You set me free from this, from sin and from death. The next aspect is one another. So we've been sprinkled with his blood, but then we get these commands now of, of one anothering. There's a lot of one another passages in the scriptures of how we ought to treat one another in the church, brothers and sisters in the church. And here's Here's what's going to happen. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says this, let us hold unswervingly, right? There's that imagery again, that hold fast, right? That sailor hanging on. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good, good deeds. To spur one another on, my, uh, my friend Patrick the other day used this, said this phrase. He says that the Jesus in you is greater than the Jesus in me. And now taken out of context, that can sound really, really bad. But what, what he was saying, though, was that Jesus in you, when you encourage me, when you spur me on to love and to, and to do something right, it means more than just me talking to myself and trying to work up something in myself. This is true even on an earthly level. Right, if I do something, if I, I just maybe sticking with sports or or anything, playing playing something or writing something or whatever it is that you do, and you do something, and you're like, man, that's, I'm proud of that. I think I did a good job. That means that's good. But when somebody else acknowledges that work and says, hey, I want to, you did this thing. I just want to let you know that was awesome. That means more. It just does to get that from somebody else, and that we 
as, in, as, as believers get to be able to help one another. Um, I always think of like good deeds of like something like really tangible, like helping somebody move. Uh, thankfully, I'm at that age uh, where my friends aren't moving as frequently. I'm not moving as frequently. I think we moved like five or six times in the first five years of our marriage. Um, I actually, this right now, we've lived four years under the same roof. That is the longest I have ever lived under the same roof my entire life. <laughs> All right, so I've done a lot of moving, but it's like, yeah, this is good. All right. So we helping, helping each other move. That's good. If you, if you got to move, it's okay. You can, you can call me. I'll, I'll, I'll try to help. I, I'm, I'm really good. I've, I've gotten really good at um, showing up, right? as like the last box is getting on the truck. I'm getting pretty good at that. Um, I've helped a few of you move, right? You can call me. All right. Uh, we need to spur one another on. The issue is though, how can we do this if we don't know? If we don't know one another, if we don't see one another, if we don't rub shoulders with one another, uh, COVID, don't rub shoulders. Don't do that. Shouldn't be doing that. I know that. Right? But if we can't, if, we, if we're not even with each other, how are we to do that? And the author is going to say that, that we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. And I think there's a lot of application here. And I want to talk about this. And again, this was a passage, this idea of not giving up meeting together. I remember there was a, a, a bulletin board, right, in our, in our church that had this verse on it. Like, you better be at church. Uh, but it wasn't just meeting. Uh, we had Sunday school, and then we had Sunday morning service. We had Sunday night service, and we had Wednesday night service. And it was a lot. And this, this verse was just pounded into our brains because if you don't show up, ooh, man, you are in trouble. That just wasn't, that's just not what this passage is talking about. Let us spur one another on and towards love and good deeds and meet together as some are in, uh, in the habit of doing, of not meeting together. Why? There's a fear. Literally in this passage, there's, the author is going to say, remember, remember when you were persecuted? Remember when you had to go through all this stuff? Let's encourage one another. Let's meet all the more as you see the day approaching. And as we looked at last week, whether I'm a Jew or Gentile, whether I'm, I'm religious or irreligious, whether I go to church or don't go to church, does nothing with my standing with God. It doesn't do anything. Again, again, this is guilt-free, right? So I'm not trying to, right? And it's, this is kind of fun. You're all here and you're like, yeah, man, I'm at church. Ha <laughs> ha, he's not talking to me, right? But I, I am, right? I think this is, and it's not just being to church. It's getting involved and being in a small group and, and all these different things. Uh, and if you're watching online, I'd love to encourage you to, to come back, right? But I cannot spur you on. I cannot encourage you. I cannot be your pastor and your shepherd and love and care for you if I don't even see you and know what's going on in your life, period. So to quote Rafiki, it is time. All right, we got to talk about this, right? I think there is an elephant in the room in the sense of, hey, wh what's going on? And so I think this is a perfect week to talk about it because, again, it's guilt-free, but I want to look at, at the pandemic as well. And again, if you're, if you're visiting here, I'd love to encourage you, yeah, come back or get involved in your local church, wherever you're from. Uh, not that long ago, I did a little, very, very quick, a little history lesson on the church uh, and its response to pandemics in the past. And so I want to read a couple of quotes here from two different individuals who have a very similar understanding uh, of this that I think as a church, at least as Hope Community Church, not just Lower Town, but all three of our locations, I think have modeled as best we can. 
Uh, and, and understand, this, none of this has been easy, right? The decisions that we've had to make, uh, they've been hard. It's, it's just like, uh, it's just choosing the, the best of all the bad ideas, period. Uh, this has been difficult. It's been emotionally difficult for all of us. Uh, it's been heavy. It's been lonely. Um, and so anyways, let me, let me talk about this. Martin Luther, my boy, he had a response to the bubonic plague in, in 1527. The bubonic plague wiped out one third of the earth's population, oh, sorry, in Europe, right? But that was in 1350, the bubonic plague when it got really bad, but it kept, it kept resurfacing for centuries. It just kept popping up and people would freak out, understandably so. People were just dying, right? Uh, my kids love to sing Ring Around the Rosie. <laughs> Pockets full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down, right? We all, we're all going to die from the bubonic plague. That's what that rhyme is about. Why kids sing it? I don't know. This is what Luther said. I'm going to turn and read it off this. Asked, asked, he was asked the question, hey, uh, are you still, how come you're not leaving? How come you're not fleeing the town where this outbreak is happening? He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us and then I will fumigate, purify the air, administer medicine, and take medicine. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated, and thus perchance inflict and pollute others, and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. Sound familiar? This is 500 years ago. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. But I have done what he, would, what he has expected of me, and so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. This is a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Another individual, Francis Grimke, uh, he was a pastor out in Washington, D.C. when the Spanish flu broke out in 1918 in Washington, D.C. And this was a sermon that he preached on November 3rd. Uh, the Spanish flu infected one-third of the population, approximately 500 million people, and had 50 million deaths, right? Way worse than what we're going through. And this is what, this is what he says. The extraordinary exercise, listen to what he says, <laughs> the extraordinary exercise of power was resorted to by the commission, commissioners in closing up of theaters, schools, churches, now in our context, churches were never closed. We never had to close our doors. Uh, the, the, the government never said churches can't meet. We just have to do it in a certain way. It says, in, forbid, in forbidding all gatherings of any considerable number of people indoors or outdoors, and in restricting the number of people who should be present even at funerals, the ground, again, sound, sound familiar? The ground of the exercise of this extraordinary power was found uh, in the imperative duty of the officials to safeguard as far as possible the health of the community by preventing the spread of the disease from which we were suffering. He goes on to say, there has been considerable grumbling, I know, on the part of some particular in regard to the closing of the churches. It seems to me, however, in a matter like this, it is always wise to submit to such restrictions for the time being. If, as a matter of fact, it was dangerous to meet in a theater and in a school, it certainly was no less dangerous to meet in a church. The fact that the churches were places of religious gatherings and the others were not would not affect in the least the health in question, the health question involved. If avoiding crowds lessens the danger of being infected, it is wise to take the precaution of not necessarily run the danger and expect God to protect us. 
Sounds, sounds like we're doing the exact same thing. Let's be careful. And yet the government, there's doctors out there. I'm not a doctor. They've said things. I'm going to listen to them. We're going to be careful. And we've taken every precaution. I mean, look around, right? There's plenty of space in here. Uh, we, we sanitize things. We fumigate the air. We don't do that. We actually have, we spray things. We don't fumigate the air. You're not breathing anything in. Not that I know of, other than 150-year-old dust. Right? We're, we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing. We're being careful, probably even more than we even need to be. But we're going to start doing that again, right? We're going to start having coffee and start having community time, hanging out. We might even just push that outside once the weather's nice so we can meet each other, right? So we can talk to each other. Uh, I don't know what your faces look like anymore. Some of you, that's a good thing. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Stick to your notes, Brian. Uh, my, uh, my boss, uh, Steve Treichler, not like my boss, boss. Um, he, uh, the senior pastor downtown or of all locations, I guess, he used this analogy, and this is something I, I may have mentioned. I know I've talked to my small group about this, but he kind of has these five C's of where people are on this spectrum, that we have chaotic, or the sense of, I am so afraid of this thing, right? I, and, and listen, when, I, when this thing started back in, in March, I, I was probably there, right? We've got little kids. Uh, I was scared. I was driving like an hour away just to go get groceries, uh, and I'd get like three months worth. Like it was ridiculous. I have two grocery carts full of food, right? And that was me. I was, I was really afraid. And then even after obeying all the rules, I got COVID. And then I immediately went from chaotic all the way to caustic of like, it's not that big of a deal. It was like a headache, right? That's bad. Those are bad ways of looking at this. And, and I would say they're, they're unbiblical, that we're not loving one another. We're not caring for one another. We're, 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 it's too much. But there are people all, all everywhere in between here that are careful, cautious, and carefree. But hey, it, I'm a little less, you know, I don't, I'm not too worried about it, but I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be careful about it, but I don't really, all right. And depending on the day and depending on the mood, it's difficult, right? And so again, we're taking all the precautions that we can and we need to fall into that middle aspect. And so to quote Kylo Ren, I know what I have to say, but I don't know if I have the power to say it. Is that, is that the line? <laughs> Thank you. Is I want to encourage you to come back to church. I do. I really do. If you've been vaccinated, come back to church, please. Uh, if you are not going to get vaccinated, come back to church. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Um, I, just, I just want to encourage that to, to assemble. And again, there are people in here and watching online that have actual, actual needs and, and, and actual uh, 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 health conditions where it is not safe. And so we're going to keep doing this for, I don't know how long we're going to keep doing the live thing. So I understand that, that there are our actual, actual needs, but I want to start getting back. I want to start being a church again. And so uh, I know that, that we can get mad about this stuff. You can get mad at me. Uh, I get mad at me about the decisions we make sometimes. Uh, I get mad at the government, all that, right? And everything else in between, but we have to do so with grace to love one another, to spur one another on in love and good deeds and so I just have a, have a question. I want you to think back over this past year. Were there things that you did? Were there things that you said? Were there decisions that you made or didn't make? Were there other people, depending on what camp you're in, that you looked down on? Wow, they are ignorant. Wow, they are sheeple. That you need to repent of. Do we just need to repent and be nice to one another again? 
I think there is. I, I know I do. Just this last Wednesday, right? I went out with Kaylee and David, and we were just right down here at the Bulldog, and we got a drink. And they've been vaccinated. I've gotten one uh, shot, and I've had COVID. And we walk in, and we sat at a table that was two feet from the door. I could touch the door, okay? And so we're eating, we're, you know, having our, having our drink, and we take our, our masks off. We're talking. Everything's fine. And we stand up. We put our mask on. We walk two feet out of the door, and we take our masks off. And I got mad, right? That was like one of those moments where I was like, this is so stupid. Now, that one was an extremely, that was pretty stupid, right? But I got mad. I don't, I don't know what I said. Hopefully, I didn't say anything too crazy, right? But I just like, I got to repent of just my heart attitude to this whole thing. Nobody knows what's going on. Uh, have there been decisions that you've made, like, like drastic ones? We had a baby. <laughs> we can't take that one back. <laughs> Thankfully, I know I love her. I love her to death. Right? But were there decisions that were made that we just got to go, man, why did, why did I do this? We, we've been in this Petri dish of COVID-19 and just things fester. We listen to something on the news and it just festers and festers. And, we don't, and if we're not in community and we don't have anyone to bounce these ideas off, we just go COVID crazy. And I think we've all been there at some, some level or another. So I just, wanna, just wanted to say that. Uh, I might talk more about that in my weekly email. Uh, I just wanted to say that. So we've been sprinkled with his blood that we need to spur one another on in love and good deeds. But then there's this warning that's going to happen. And so the author here is going to, just like all the other warnings that he's given, he's given numerous warnings. But the warning here is not to the church. The warning here is not to those who are believers in Jesus, who have asked for forgiveness, who have repented, and their faith is in Christ. They're, they're, they have been cleansed from a guilty conscience, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. It's not these people. These are the people that we talked about back in chapter 6 and 7, who are maybe sitting in here, who, who might be in and say, yeah, I'm part of the church, but it's cool for like community, and you guys like really like each other, and you're really nice, and all these different things. So, so yeah, I'm going to sit I'm gonna sit here. I'm going to be, be like this, but I don't actually believe in this Jesus thing. That's the warning. That's who this warning is too. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Right? If, you, if you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's cool. Yeah, he didn't really like die for my sins. That's, that's getting a little, there's, there's no sacrifice. Nothing else can happen. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, that's, there's a, a lot going on within the context of the Old Testament right there. But he talks about, the author here talks about the testimony of two or three witnesses. This was a really big deal. Uh, one of the verses that, that we use, like anytime there's like a prayer meeting uh, or people are just getting together, there's usually someone, or they might even have a coffee mug, that has, has this verse on there uh, that says, from Matthew 18, 20, it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. That's a great verse. This has nothing to do with prayer. <laughs> this has everything to do, actually, within context of dealing with sin in the church. It's actually like a, like a negative verse. And the, the fancy word within the church is to excommunicate people out of the church. That's what this verse is about. For where two or three people are gathered in my name as a witness, as a testimony against somebody else. All right, now you can get them out. <laughs> That's what this verse is about. Now, is it true that where two or three people are gathered together, Jesus is there with them? Yes. When I'm alone, is Jesus there with me? Yes. 
right? So it's true. It's just not the right text to use, all right? But this is the whole idea, right? So where two or three are gathered in my name, and this is why when you get to the big 10, right? The 10 commandments, do not bear false witness against your brother is on the big 10 because you could kill somebody. It was a big no-no. All right, so that's the context of what's happening. Verse 29, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of God underfoot? Oh, you've heard about the grace of Jesus. You've heard that he loves you. you heard that he died for your sin. And you go, mm, that's okay. No, thanks. Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace. This is a warning. But again, if you're a believer in Jesus, this isn't to us. As the author here is going to make explicitly clear. So moving on, verse 30 says this, for we know him, for we know him who said it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people Verse 31, again, another verse that has been unfortunately abused by church. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now that's true. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. If you uh, were a student of, of any kind of history, it was it's part of church history, but very, uh, very popular. But Jonathan Edwards, he was part of the Great Awakening. And he preached a sermon in his church in Massachusetts that was on July 8th, 1741. And the title of that sermon was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Maybe you've heard of that. This was his text. And he would just read. He was a very uh, monotone individual, supposedly. We don't have any recordings or anything like that. But he would just read his passage. He'd read, he'd, he'd manuscript his sermons, and he would just read. And the stories that came out of there that were people were, were so afraid. They were holding on to the, the pews that, that, that people were crying as he was preaching and delivering this message. Some of you cry when I preach, but for different reasons, right? They were terrified, right? He's abusing this in a sense to say, hey, you need to repent. Now listen, do we need to repent? Yes, but this warning is not for those who have been cleansed and washed of a guilty conscience in Christ. This is both a warning and it should be very, very refreshing to hear if I'm in Christ because I don't have to worry about this Remember those earlier days? Now he's talking to the church. Now he's talking to believers. Remember, you remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. That's not a warning anymore. His tone, the, the author's tone shifts here. In verse 35, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. You need to hold fast. So when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for. In just a little while, he who is coming will, will, will come and he will not delay. And, but my righteousness one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrieks back. And so we can end with confidence in Christ. Now, if you're sitting there today and you're going, man, I, man, I don't know my position. Am I, am I in? Am I out? I don't know. Believe in Jesus. Repent. Over and over, Scripture says today is the day of repentance. 
And then we have confidence in Christ as the author ends here, verse 10 or chapter 10. Says, but we do not belong to those who shriek back. All these warnings, but we who are in Christ, we don't shriek back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. How do I know if I'm saved? Do I believe in the blood of Christ? How can I ask for forgiveness? How can I move on even in this time of COVID? Repent. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so just in gospel application and conclusion, do you feel guilty for something? And I, when I was writing this up, I had, I had a bunch of bullet points of like, do you, and I was like, you know, I, I'm just going to leave it here. Do you feel guilty for something? If you're in Christ, stop it, all right? And I know that's not easy. We need to have this, this, wor- this godly sorrow that brings repentance, not, a, not a, a worldly guilt. But do I feel guilty for something? Is there something that I've done that just weighs on me, just says, this is who I am? No, it's not. Your sin has been removed. And so because it's been removed, it then moves us to want to be into a closer relationship with Christ. Secondly, as I mentioned before, do you need to repent of some decisions that were made during the pandemic? Some things that were said, some things that weren't said. Do we need to repent of some of these things? Just sit back and, and again, I'm, listen, I'm not the expert on this. And I know I said that, but I'm not infallible. I'm not like, hey, I want you all to do exactly what I do. I want your attitude and your mindset to be exactly like mine. I'm not saying that. But I know that I've needed to repent of things, things that I've said. I've had to repent to some of you of things I've done and said during this pandemic. Uh, and I didn't put it in here, but the last point, why? Because we have confidence. We have confidence to draw near to, near to God because of the blood of Christ. And so again, we have the opportunity like we do every week where we're gonna have communion. Uh, if, you would, if you'd say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Or, or maybe I am now, that I want to put my faith in Christ. I would love for you to partake of, of the, the juice that represents his blood, the wafer that represents his body that was broken for us. And so that we can partake of these elements and say, we've been cleansed, not just from my sin. I've been cleansed from a guilty conscience that maybe I needed to even repent of just feeling guilty over something that God has forgiven and so all I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, man, I'd, I'd love to partake of this meal uh, with you as a body, as a family. And if you're watching online, I'd love for you to partake of elements at home as well. Uh, but again, just like Jesus longed to have that Passover meal, I long, I long for, sus, for us to start coming back to church and having this meal together in person. And again, guilt-free. Let me pray. We'll sing a few songs and I'd love to encourage you to partake of those elements as you see fit. As we sing, uh, just pray with me and, and feel free to stand and sing whenever uh, you feel led to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that I can approach you. I can approach you uh, because you've approached me. I can directly go to you in prayer because of your son and his sacrifice, because of the sanctifying power of your spirit that works in me daily, that I choose to reject and I choose to sin and therefore I choose to suffer. But God, would you help those in here who are watching online who do feel guilt, that feel shame, to know that you have moved on from that. You have forgiven, truly forgiven, and forgotten our sins. You will remember them no more. So I pray that we would believe that, we would hear that, we would understand that, that that is what Christ has done for us through the cleansing of his blood. And so as we partake of these elements, I pray that our heart, our minds would be in the right place. 
as we partake of these elements together as a family, that you would encourage us and help us to spur one another on in love and good deeds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.